0: Welcome to 50 Date Night Screams. I'm Amber
1: Tresca, And I'm Mike Tresca. We're a married couple who decided to celebrate our 50th birthdays by watching some old movies.
0: A lot of old movies. Join us as we watch 50 movies on our date nights and have fun dissecting them.
1: As a bonus, each episode is accompanied by an original character I created and designed for use in your tabletop role-playing games.
0: Many of the movies we watch are unrated. But this podcast is not. 50 Date Night Screams contains mature themes and is intended for adult audiences, so take care when listening. Plus, there are spoilers. Check the show notes to see where you can watch this movie before you listen.
1: We're glad you're here. Have a seat, grab a glass of your favorite beverage, and get ready to scream along with us. Why do you think Vi would do such a thing?
0: As far as I know, he had no reason to take his life. Maybe you had reasons you know nothing about. Hello and welcome to another episode of 50 Date Night Screams. I want to say at the very beginning of this episode that I want to include a content warning because there is a discussion of suicide in the movie. A character does not actually take their own life But it is part of the plot. People think that he does. So if this is something that is uh, troublesome for you to listen to, you may want to skip this episode and we'll see you in episode 11. Okay, with that out of the way, this is episode 10. The movie is called A Shot in the Dark. And I'm here with my co-host, Mike Tresca. Hey, Mike, what's going on?
1: Hello, love of my life. How are you?
0: I'm good. I cannot get... The Ozzy Osbourne song out of my head. (laughs) I (laughs) desperately want to sing it. And I know that that's a problem. So can't do that. Copyrighted music, artist rights, all that. Go. But like, I can't get it out of my head. So.
1: I feel like I'm going to use the phrase a shot in the dark like eight times. So I apologize in advance if I do. I'm just going to take a shot in the dark, you know.
0: Well, you know what? This whole movie, pretty much every character in it. Was taking a shot in the dark. So that's for sure. There was actually one real shot in the dark, but there are a lot of figurative shots in the dark. Okay, let's start off with our stats about this movie. The title is A Shot in the Dark, 1935. It is in black and white. The director is Charles Lamont. This movie has a 5.3 out of 10 on IMDb. It's a little higher than some of our other. Movies on here, I'm not quite sure why. It's a weird right. place
1: to be on the other side of five. I don't think <laughs> you've been there yet. This is new.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, mm, I can't think of... We, it's probably episode one, Bloody Pit of Yeah, War.
1: yeah, Maybe. I think that
0: was in the sixes, right? Yeah. But most of the other movies are in the fours. Low fours. Ugh. Okay, the hilarious tagline from this movie is, The infallible detective meets the perfect crime. Exclamation point. Can't forget the exclamation point. It is one hour and nine minutes. And I have a description here that came with the box set of the movies of the 50 movie pack Night Screams DVD collection. You ready?
1: Can any of us really be ready for this?
0: Probably not. (laughs) But, you know, least of all me. And I'm the one that's reading it. So here we go. A death at a college campus appears to be a suicide but is actually a cover for murder. The dead man's roommate finds himself embroiled in a mystery as he tries to uncover the truth behind the young man's murder. Twists and turns, as well as some false leads, makes this a tough case for our collegiate... How do you say that? Collegiate. 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 Oh, God. Collegiate hero to solve, let alone out of the clutches of the killer. I have no idea what the last clause in that sentence means. I don't remember any clutches in this movie either.
1: Do needles count as clutches? I'm not sure. I don't no. know. I don't no. Know.
0: Clutches like um, like hands, claws, right. clutches.
1: Right. Well, machinations like there's some sinister plan. But that's all right. The bad guy spends most time out of – he's not in this movie most of the time. Yeah, right, so right, 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 right. Not a lot of clutches.
0: This movie is a little odd from beginning to end. There's a lot of characters.
1: What's interesting, too, about this film is it's actually based off of a book. So if you thought this was convoluted.
0: Right. Right. Did I, you yeah, look I it up? D- I didn't get a chance to look it up. Yeah. So okay. the
1: book was, I think it was called The the Dartmouth Murders. Cool. Um, and it's important because if you look at this up, there was actually recent in the past, you know, post 2000 years murders at Dartmouth. This is not that obviously, but there were murders at Dartmouth that happened in a dispute that inspired a book that inspired this movie. And every time you jump from one source to the other, it gets more and more ridiculous. So essentially, the actual murders were not nearly as convoluted or complicated as this. And the book, I think, um, essentially was sort of this, but it's... Probably had a lot more time to explain itself, which this movie, with its one hour and nine minutes, did not. So um, there's a lot they have to cover in a very short period of time, and uh, I don't think they did very well trying to cover it. But uh, that book is—it's funny because I tried to look the book up. You can't really find it anywhere. Um, but it—it it is very much about people who knew Dartmouth. They—they were—they knew Dartmouth. They—it um, was based on someone's personal experience with with Dartmouth.
0: Was the book written? recent to the movie
1: it was the 1920s so it had been written beforehand yeah yeah because they talk about the uh, class of 1922 okay and and the real the quote real murders that inspired the book which again they're not really that related was was 1922 so yeah it was in the 20s
0: okay all right so only about 10 years removed so we do have the poster here there's a lot going on in the poster some of it well i guess i guess it all does occur in the movie in a in a manner of speaking You you have somebody holding a gun. I don't know if that's supposed to be the the Ken, the protagonist. And then you have a shadowy figure, a dude in a hat and a trench coat, sort of holding his trench coat halfway over his face in, like, blues. The rest of the poster is in very bright colors. It's got that yellow and red color scheme that kind of jumps out at you. And then you have two characters. One is holding on to the other one because one has appeared to faint,
1: I guess. Or be shot. Or be shot.
0: Yeah. I don't know why I thought fainting. That's like what came to me immediately.
1: Because I think that's what happened in, right. in the movie. But yeah. Right, mm-hmm. right,
0: right. Yeah. So, I mean, there's just a lot going on. There's a lot of names of the actors that were in the film on the poster, which makes me wonder a little bit because usually you see like one or two because those are the names that people might know. So I do wonder if there was some jockeying that went on. That everybody's name had to be on the poster there.
1: There's a one of the reviews, and I quote says the stars may be bigger than the movie, and I think that's probably right. Yeah. Um. So there's definitely um some folks in here who went on to other things, and I think, uh, it was a, <laughs> it was as much a vehicle for them to sort of debut as it was for them to go on to greater things. So I don't think it was, uh, like you said, there's a lot of people in here trying to do their best to act like they're college students, which alone <laughs> is a, an achievement.
0: I just, I, you know, the transfer on the DVD was not wonderful was not really clear i also made a note to myself to bring up the fact that the sound there is a persistent echo you're hearing voices faintly before you hear the characters say the thing so you you're you're always hearing this latency like i don't understand where it comes from it's also in the youtube video right i found that to be very distracting latency like that. Not close. It was several seconds apart. So you would hear a scream several seconds before the character actually screamed and stuff like that. So it,
1: it actually would make for a great creepy movie <laughs> because it's old timey and you've got this weird echoing. But it, it, if you just want to watch the film, yeah. um, to your point, we had to use the YouTube, I'm pretty sure the YouTube channel, because at least we could get closed captioning because it was right. really difficult. It was like-
0: difficult. It was difficult. And there's that persistent hiss that is throughout all of these old. No, no, movies. that's,
1: according to YouTube, that's applause. <laughs> that's what it shows up as in the uh, in the transcript. It's always Oh, really? Applause. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's like, so wow, funny. people are so excited. And then you really, when you listen to it, you're like, it's the that The whole constant. movie
0: they're clapping through. That's <laughs> the right. The whole movie. It's interesting to me because, not to, like, point fingers at somebody's work or say that they could do better or whatever, but I do feel like, especially for the DVD versions of these movies, like, a clever audio engineer... Could have spent a couple hours with it and made it right. I feel like so. There's um,
1: and we'll link to these because we've been doing that homework and making sure we link to like where you can purchase them if you want to get better versions. There's, I think it's called the detective series or something along those lines, and there are some. Not everybody has been restored, um, but you're not going to get them in sets like this where you get fifty at a time. So it is. It's unfortunate because that some of these films will just do a lot better with a little care. And attention.
0: Well, yeah. And then I wouldn't have to watch them three times to try to understand what's happening, and what's going on. And, and, you know, and maybe for some people, it's a little bit like listening to vinyl and that they want things sort of original, something like that. But part of me feels like, can't we do better by these people that put their heart and soul into this work? And can't we improve it a little bit so that people could enjoy it better? You know, I mean, I guess that's my feeling on that. I'm not really a like a traditionalist when it comes to this. I'm like, if you could make it better with modern audio and, and visual cleanup, let's do that. Anyway, so the movie starts off at a party. My impression of Dartmouth is that, like, this people be partying up there. So... Because <laughs> they're all up late, driving around, figuring out who's sleeping in what bed and what room and what's going on and who where. And it's interesting because... You think of the 30s as, oh, that was so long ago, and people had different ways of behaving. So in particular to me, the the main female character, the sister of the man who first dies, she's out at this party, and then she's going to meet somebody, and then she changes her mind, and she's out at like 2, 3 in the morning.
1: With her nursemaid? Not,
0: <laughs> not with the with the nursemaid. That's but That's the, the thing. They end is, up
1: splitting up, right?
0: Yeah, so yeah. Jean Coates is the sister. There is a woman that is with her a lot of the times, and her name is Miss Lottie Case. I made a note to myself: is she a maid? I don't. I don't know who she is. She's kind of hanging out. Thing you get the impression that Jean Coates and her brother, who um, is murdered, Byron, were well off. Yeah. So was it typical for a woman to? go to college, and then have, like, a chaperone. I guess it's maybe a better term, like, to have a chaperone with her. That's what it felt like. That's what it seemed like. But then also, Miss Lottie Case did not do a whole hell of a lot. Like, she was not around. In the beginning of the movie, Jean's whereabouts are kind of unknown for a hot minute in the middle of the night, like 2 in the morning. And Miss Case is back at Jean's dorm, but Jean is at a hotel. Meanwhile, her brother is being murdered. During this time.
1: She might be the dorm mom, you know that kind of oh, like role. A,
0: um, uh, a house mother,
1: house mother. Yeah, that's like the vibe. Never... But it is—it's super weird. Like she just seems it's to be, she seems addressed. to be the adult in the room. But that's it. Like she's just there to sternly go, "This is unregular This is unusual."
0: <laughs> she's also tasked with telling this person something, telling the other person something, going and getting things, and whatever. And it just didn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, it could have just been like a friend. The character could have just been. A friend of Jean's or a roommate of of
1: Jean's. It felt like she was there to make it okay for a young woman to be swanning about with right. these older men. That's right. That's the from. That's the conceptual. Like they, she had to be there to make it socially acceptable for her to allowed to be there, um, because probably wouldn't be normally. Otherwise, it'd be some of these crazy, you know, college sex parties that everybody worries about. So, um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> she was there
1: to make sure none of those shenanigans happened.
0: Crazy New Hampshire college sex parties going yeah. on.
1: Murder is a terrible thing.
0: Particularly terrible when it is found in a college
1: where youth and the highest ideals are supposed to prevail.
0: Okay. The main protagonist whose name is Ken, Ken. is his name. Ken.
1: And by the way, he's such a Ken. <laughs> touch again
0: ken is out with his dad all right they're in the car they come back to ken's dorm the dad's like gonna stay in the dorm room i'm like what the fuck but all right the dad's drunk or whatever they're all gonna stay in this dorm room together but ken can't get in his dorm room the door is locked and his roommate byron is not opening the door the next morning so ken finds some other bed to sleep in doesn't worry about where his dad is He's like, right,
1: and they, there's a weird like, where were you? I don't know. I found I found a hotel. Yeah, I mean, and... the
0: next the next morning they fi- they figure yeah. it out, but he's not like doesn't think about. I don't know. Right, see nobody what, seems see particularly concerned. They're all partying concerned. and drunk. Like that's where yeah. I'm coming at. Like, well, all... the
1: dad is he's traveling because he he had taken a long flight. That was part of the point. Right. And but can we talk about the dad? I want to talk about Jack Donahue in this in this. <laughs> Jack Donahue? <laughs> all right, so Jack Donahue's from Thirty Rock. Right? And he is this very hyper-efficient GE-style executive who just seems to be the fact that he's a businessman, that he can solve anything.
0: Jack Donaghy is a GE executive, by the way. Right. Yeah, yeah.
1: And as someone who works for GE, I get this. So I'm very entertained by this idea of hyper-competence sort of just – like I can do anything if I'm in business, I can yeah. do it anywhere else in anybody else's fear. And by the way, just walk
0: in the door and like solve problems.
1: And you would definitely benefit by my presence. And yeah. it kills me that this movie invents helicopter parents because not only does the dad become, frankly, the main investigator, there's this implied assumption that because of his business experience, he's the right person to dig into this. And boy, does he involve himself in everything on a you know, he doesn't go to the school. He just flew out to visit his son, and now he's going to get to the bottom of these murders.
0: That's funny. I didn't even think about the idea of the helicopter parent. But, yeah. Anyway, Ken wakes up the next morning, and he's hearing, like, this bump, bump, bump. He looks out the window. Mercifully, we don't see it. But what he sees is his roommate, poor old Byron, is apparently hung from the window, Of their room, which Ken is not in, he's in a different dude's room, and the body is like hitting the side of the building.
1: And that, by far, of all the movies we've seen, I felt was the creepiest moment to date, which is ironic, because the rest of it does not match up to this. But the idea of hearing a weird bumping noise, which you're not clear what it is, and then finding out it's someone who presumably had committed suicide and is hanging outside. And, you know, there's so many things you... Along with Ken, you come to, he's been sleeping, listening to this noise the whole time, right? So who knows how long that's been going on. I
0: mean, they were all out drinking and partying and they got home late, so. So
1: what horrible guilt, you know, that you're like hearing this noise and you're like, what's that stupid noise? You know, who left the door open or whatever? And it's it's your friend who's been, by the way, and they never show this, dangling outside, right? So people could see him, presumably. Yeah, Uh, but
0: he's there all night. Bumping like that. And maybe it was just something where, you know, wind, whatever, picked up all of a sudden, whatever happened. But he's he has been out there for several hours. So when you are hearing the bumping and they're showing Ken waking up, you like, did you know what it was? I kind of suspected that it was something. Oh, we knew
1: there was going to be some kind of murder-suicide situation. So we knew there was something. Um, I assumed any mysterious noises, you know, is tied to a death. But I just thought it was surprising for a a movie that sort of is sometimes feels rushed, sometimes doesn't give you the right scenes. It was surprisingly subtle. You know, they they sort of let you let the audio tell the story. And that's unusual in films like this.
0: Right. Yes, because also the audio tends to be pretty sketchy. As we've discussed, we're used to every little bit of audio footsteps, car stopping being put in you know that's where the audio editing comes in in these movies you're hearing like the native noise so as ken is running up the stairs you're not hearing something that an audio editor inserted in like his footsteps up the stairs you're actually hearing whatever was in that the the resonant noise in that room from ken running up the steps which is different and you can tell and in movies this old, you know, obviously they didn't, you know, do that kind of thing. The bumping noise was kind of odd because you knew that something was wrong. Like you knew that it was gonna be really important and that it was probably bad. It just sounded bad to me.
1: I appreciate what they were going for, I guess, was yeah. the point.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. It was it was for sure creepy. Probably the best little vignette in in the whole movie was that was that part, honestly. All right. So they find poor Byron. Everyone's trying to figure out what happened. There was a couple people that came forward and said, oh, I saw him last night right before he went to bed. He was wearing this. This is what happened. They can't find what he was wearing. His PJs have disappeared. They find his robe. There's blood on the back, on the neck on the back of his robe, yet he supposedly had hung himself. And it's so funny because one of the one of the other doormates is like, oh, he must have cut himself shaving. And Ken is like, Bro, you don't cut the back of your neck shaving. Right. But anyway, they're trying to put it together and they have a they have a suspicion that Byron did not take his own life. So then the Jack Donaghy, <laughs> Joseph Harris, the dad, steps in and starts taking over. And he's clear he's of the appropriate age. You know, he's clearly you know, dad character older. And he starts telling everybody what to do. And I made some notes at this point about how often everybody talks about the police and how they all start talking as if they're inept. So they say things like, well, we have to like look this over and figure out what's going on before, you know, the police get here and just like muddy the waters or whatever, you know? (laughs) So it's, I mean, Ken says that, Joseph says that, Miss Case says that, it's actually really interesting to me.
1: Yeah, and that's not uncommon with these films. I mean, this is postcode, I'm pretty sure, but it, it's, it's still in that zone where people weren't making films where it was the police that were solving the crime. I actually didn't even know if they were going to show up because they talked about them so much incompetently. It was actually surprising when some member of law enforcement made an appearance because they did sort of talk about them like they were no help at all. And then they finally sort of almost begrudgingly put them in so that there was a little bit of tension around our hero, Joe slash Jack, Dye, I'm going to keep calling that, uh, solving the case with complete access to evidence and crime scenes and everything, and the police who uh, so almost admittedly say they're out of their depth.
0: Yeah, they do. And so pretty quickly they figure out they do an autopsy, let's say they do an autopsy, I don't really know what that meant in 1935, but they figure out... He was already dead when somebody hung him there from the window. He'd been killed by something in the, that went into the back of his neck, into the base of his spine. And that was actually how he had died. That explains the blood on the robe. That somebody had, like, redressed him and then hung him out the window to make it
1: look like he'd killed himself. That is the worst cover-up of a crime ever. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they
0: figured it out pretty quickly,
1: actually. Well, and I mean, it's sort of interesting because there's two sides to this. On one, somebody wrote this, obviously, maybe it's based off the book. But uh, the other side of it is they didn't really hold back on the consequences. Um, The police didn't miss it. No. So there, what did the guy think? There wasn't going to be an autopsy. Like it's such a weird kind of like it's not like not only that,
0: but like I'm look, look, I'm not an expert, not like um, Dana Scully, whatever. But I'm pretty sure that when you take the body down and look at it, you're not going to see like ligature, right? Isn't that what they call yeah. it when mm-hmm. you have, you know, you've been hung or strangled or whatever, like ligature marks in the same way on a postmortem body that you're going to see on someone. And like, not to get too graphic, but I think there's also things that happen to your tongue and your face and things like that. So like, it was just pretty, it was going to be pretty clear to their credit, the doctor and Joseph and Ken figured that all out pretty quickly. All right, so then we have to have a meeting, okay? So the college is going to have a meeting, and the what? What is he officially? He's a dean. um, I don't know if he's the. Oh, he's the college president. The college president, president, who's unnamed, I think, decides to hold a meeting. They're in some like big lecture hall. Everybody's there, and he's saying there was a murder. It's going to bring unwelcome attention to our university. Which really kind of cracked me up because it's, there's no, and this is from my modern lens, but there's no discussion of, we're going to find this person, we don't think there's any danger to anybody, or even like, if you, f- or we're going to cancel classes, if you feel like you need to leave, go home, we're going to cancel classes for the week. Like, n- like none of that. He's just like, this is going to make us look bad. So just be prepared, you know? And then I'm laughing he's got like a gavel like what like where
1: (laughs) order in the court order Order in
0: the court court. order in the court (laughs) you know and uh he has he says the most hilarious line it was the only one in the whole movie that i wrote down he says murder is a terrible thing It it really just got me. It really should.
1: That should be the poster quote, actually. um, Oh, it really should. It does occur to me that because this was based, inspired by real murder, this is probably the only thing it was probably. I would not put it past the Dartmouth back then in the 20s, that that's probably the conversation that everybody had Um, because everything else was made up about the actual murders. But I could see that as a student of someone who had witnessed, you know, had been there, as they pointed out in the biography of sort of the original book slash um, leading up to the movie, uh, there's only like a thousand. Students at the time, so oh, okay. you probably knew who people were, but it was quite a cozy atmosphere. So you have this very weird, not particularly comforting, certainly not appropriate, and also revealing details of the crime scene. Right? Uh, right. Statement from the president. So right. he did it. He did. He did a terrible job.
0: He did a terrible job.
1: And you know that hasn't changed. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> for the most part, yes.
1: Based on our own personal experiences, maybe.
0: Okay, so he's talking and then there is an eyewitness who up until this point has been saying i have talked to the police i got to tell the police i don't want to tell anybody else what i saw i need to tell it to the police so he actually has his faith in the police he doesn't tell joseph and ken anything he doesn't tell any of the other extraneous characters anything all of a sudden in this meeting he stands up he's going to say something and then he goes ah oh, and grabs his neck <laughs> and collapses he has also been killed by something going into the back of his neck. <laughs> and that poor character, his name is Sam Anderson.
1: Sam. Okay, <laughs> Sam.
0: Sam. Poor Sam. So we know right away, you know, he's been killed because he had information. And the killer is there in the room, obviously. Although the sheriff shows up and the sheriff has got this cockamamie theory. It's kind of amazing to me that an hour-long movie, they come up with all these cockamamie theories and then and then rule them out. He says it must have been the organ, the the man at the organ, which why was a man at the organ when they were having this meeting about what was going to happen after this right. um, poor gentleman was murdered. I, I don't know why the organist was there. But the theory that the sheriff has is that the organist must have played a note, by the way, I didn't hear no note, that something happened with, with the pipes in the organ and then it shot the thing. And I'm like, don't the pipes go up and down? Like, why would they go well, to the I sky? just have
1: the image of that Muppet who would try to play the piano and be like, no, no. And it smashes head into the, into the <laughs> like, I have this image of like, what would have to happen to cover this level of murder from an organ that would, by the way, to your point, there was no music. So somebody all of a sudden, they'd be like a, in the middle of a conversation, you know, this is why they don't trust the police. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, also, you clearly don't trust organists because, right. uh, you know, they make the poor organ organist like. Wait. Go in, sit sit down like you were sitting. Like they go through this whole thing, like recreating it. And he's like, did you play a note? He's like, no, I was listening to the president and this shit's <laughs> fucked up. And I was looking at my music and I did play no goddamn
1: note. It was so funny. We may know a sound editor who's an organist. So we apologize in advance for accusing anybody that they might. No,
0: I tell you what, though, I tell you what, I would like to see a movie and I'm going to I'm going to look it up after we're done recording today i would like to see a movie where an organist uses his organ to kill people Can i really would like to see that <laughs> uses his <the>, organ yes <laughs> uses his organ to kill people in some kind that's of way that's
1: different movie that's I, frankenstein 80 you'll see that one. <laughs> <laughs> well i mean the other point is that you'd have to aim it Like the organs are not mobile, you know, they're not mobile, uh, you know, gun platforms. You have to like be in the perfect spot. It doesn't matter.
0: It's hilarious. The the whole thing is like, but But it's really
1: not that much more believable or unbelievable than the actual, Than than what's actually
0: happening. All right. Anyway. So the plot goes on. They're chasing around. They forget. Oh my gosh. It's Byron's birthday today. Oh my gosh. It was his 21st birthday. So the sister forgot his birthday. The roommate forgot the birthday. Everybody's forgetting his birthday. By the way, it's a monumentous birthday because he's going to inherit
1: a lot of money. Oops. Oops. Did we leave that out? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oops. So now we have motive. So who do they immediately think of? Who? The sister. They right. think it's the sister that she's doing the killing because she wants to inherit this money from the long deceased dad. The mother is still alive. They talk about her like she's lost her mind, you know, and that she's fragile, whatever, whatever.
1: And there's some sketchiness going on that she finally sort of cops to later. But there's definitely this whole, like, where were you on the night of whatever? And she's like, lies about it. Yeah,
0: because remember, she was out running around while Byron was murdered. She was out. Her keeper wasn't with her. Yeah. She was somewhere. And then Joseph lets loose with the the zinger. He comes and his body language, he comes and he sits next to Jane, who's the sister of the murdered, the first murdered man, and also friends with his son, okay, sits down next to her and kind of like drapes his arm across the back of the couch, just physically very intimidating, okay, comes in and physically intimidates her and is like, where were you? And she's like, well, I was, you know, in my room, as I told Ken, I didn't feel well, whatever. And he's like, no, you weren't because I saw you because I checked into a hotel because all these drunk fuckers couldn't open their doors and I had nowhere to sleep. So I was at the hotel and I saw your dumbass in the lobby. And she was like, no, couldn't have been me. And he's like, well, somebody lying and it ain't me. Like, that's literally what, <laughs> that's he, what he
1: says. Said. Yep. It's not like having somebody's dad accuse you of murder.
0: I, right? Murdering your own brother.
1: <laughs> yes. Right. Murdering your own brother, no less. Not just mm-hmm. murder, but like, you know, him telling you, I think you hurt your own family. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's just not believable as a killer at all. But anyway, all right. Can you kindly explain how it was I saw you enter the hotel as I was registering about 2 o'clock this morning? I'm sure you're wrong. I was in bed hours before that. I'll vouch for what this coach has said. She's not in the habit of wandering about strange hotels at such an hour. I'm very sorry to say one of us is lying. I assure you it isn't I. Moving along, they finally find the Needle. Joseph finds the the. Needle. Well, there's a lot of
1: skulking around the church, there's a lot of skulking which around. causes a conflict where there's like a oh no, like it sounds like the murderer is trying to. Well, cover they're trying track. to
0: find the murderer. Like they right. see somebody, like Joseph is out and he thinks he sees somebody, and they think it's the murderer. And I'm like, it's just a person, but whatever. So he, you know, he finds this needle, like on the
1: ground, bunch of needles.
0: Yeah, and but he doesn't turn it over to the police. That's the hilarious part. Nope. Doesn't turn it over to the sheriff. Sheriff gets pissed at some point.
1: He does because he finds out later and he's like, what the hell, man? He's like, you're holding on to evidence, you know? And they're like, shut up, shut up. Shh. They're like, Shh, Shh, I'm an educated sh- businessman. Yeah. Shh. <laughs> sh- sh- we're, we're
0: handling this, bud. It's all right. <laughs> Shh. You know? So, all right. So we're still not sure what's going on here. They grab the mother. The mother starts going on about how she'd had a baby. She thought she was married to this man. She'd had a baby. She gave the baby up for adoption and hasn't seen this baby. She found out she wasn't actually married to the person and then ended that whole situation, started fresh, married Jane and Byron's dad, had two kids, knew that the baby was adopted by this French couple. And then it's like, well, guess what? There just so happens to be a young man who looks exactly like Byron living in the town and he has French parents. And by the way, it's the same actor. Right. The same actors playing Byron and then playing the character of John who is supposedly just like a townie, I guess. I don't know.
1: Just happens to be in town.
0: Yeah. 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 Who who is actually the half-brother
1: of Byron I, and Normally I Jim. laugh at this stuff, but it happens to me all the time. <laughs> Someone says Mike, there's a spitting image. Either I've seen you somewhere else or I'm pretty sure that like you were there or you have a brother or you have a relative. And I'm like, no, that's not true. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. And it gets annoying after a while. But I have had that. And it happened at college specifically a few times where people were like, there's definitely a person who looks like you who's named Mike. So it's always fascinating to me when this kind of thing happens.
0: I mean, I get that a lot, too, that somebody will say, I met somebody that looked just like you, la, 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 la. But I don't know. I don't think I've ever in my life said to another person, I met somebody that looks just like you.
1: Yeah, uh, I just got called that last week. So, (laughs) So, you know, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah,
0: me too, actually. (laughs) Me too. But this is the same actor. Like, it's very clear. It was at the point where Byron complained
1: about it. He complained. This is so annoying. So funny because you're like, no one thought that was weird. Nobody was like, yeah. All right. (laughs) Yeah. Spoiler alert, that will be important later. That
0: will be important <laughs> later. All right. So they finally find a gun. Yes. They find this um, Well, they find the
1: needles and they know the something's needles. up because the needles are a specific kind of ammunition. And then they're looking for the weapon because it's a specific. So they're putting two and two together. Right, it's not a gun, gun. gun. Right. Right. It's it's called a free bolt pistol. It's got a lot of it's weird because there doesn't seem to be a standard name for it. I don't understand why. Um, The concept was used in uh, No Country for Old Men also, which was the idea of essentially a weapon used to kill livestock, um, which is a very specific weapon and one that one would notice where it was and if it was missing. And they do sort of come up with it, right? So they sort of bring a shop teacher. I don't remember who this guy is. Yeah,
0: he was like a professor at the school and he had been given by the manufacturer – This and presumably he's some kind of agricultural professor. Like I don't know, I don't know what the the majors were at Dartmouth, you know, in those days. But he was given this weapon to use on livestock. I I think today they're also used to give medicine or to give vaccines or whatever. But it sounded like it was used for either euthanasia or for I don't know, like meat production. Like I don't really know. Yeah. Finally, after like questioning, it's hilarious. After like a bunch of questioning by Joseph and the sheriff, he's like, "Oh, you know what happened? Actually, Byron borrowed it. Right. And the, and it it's like what? <laughs> <laughs>
1: and you left that that out. So, this hey, whole were time, were you
0: at the meeting? Were the other dude dropped dead?
1: <laughs> and we said that murder is bad. Okay? And murder is bad. <laughs> Anyway, oops. So they out I lost out, my free bolt pistol that's used to murder livestock, and there's been two I murders mean, on the campus. Don't know
0: why. That's the weapon. So what kind of got me here was that they were all passing around this weapon, and fingerprints were in use
1: at this time. And that's when Joe's like, by the way, it matches the one that I nicked off the crime scene. Here it is. And you're like, Joe. You're taking crime evidence and walking around with it in your pocket. I know.
0: The, sh- the sheriff is like, what are you doing?
1: <laughs> well, and also, too, as you start to put this together, there's a lot of needles on the ground. Someone used the freebolt pistol multiple times. So, like, just to be clear, I, I don't know if they missed. They were shooting left and right with this pistol because these needles are on the ground. And presumably the freebolt pistol was used to actually assassinate victim number two. In yes. free sight of everyone. They
0: know they know that it was. Yeah. They so, know it
1: was. well, I'd say, I, I say presumably because I don't believe it's possible. But that aside, free bolt pistols are generally meant to be put right up to the animal's head. Right. And then that's the whole point. You're not going to do it from – there's no reason to do it from a distance. It's not – I yeah. can't imagine the accuracy. I can't imagine he didn't hit somebody else. And it's certainly he wouldn't have hit them in the right spot to instantly kill them. He probably would have punctured an arm or something. So this was a very inefficient way to kill someone and not – Probably stealthy at all, as much as they wanted to make it sound like it is, like that it's this quiet murder machine. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's not. Free ball no. pistols, shoot.
0: Oh Well, only if you came up behind the person and just like shot them in the back. Like you could. Right. You know? Right. You could come right up beh- behind somebody, get real close to them, shoot them in the back of the neck, and probably get quite a few feet away before they crumple to the ground and everybody starts to react. Like you could, you could do that, but that's not what happened here. No. There was nobody no. around him. You know who who was standing up or whatever. He stood up. Everybody else was sitting down. And all of a sudden, he went down, and there was no noise either—not right. like a right. gunshot noise. Yeah, right. Yeah. So yeah, poor poor Sam. Anyway, so they're closing in on the situation, like they're figuring it out, and s- somehow <laughs> I think I blacked out for a minute because somehow <laughs> because somehow the uh, the the brother John is. Hold up somewhere and they like they got him surrounded right okay
1: well so he's the obvious suspect now right so now they're like they put two and two together he's he's probably in the background right so now they're coming after him and he there's a lot of like we've got him pinned down and people are driving back and forth and they're like you so there's a whole scene that happens where some college guy's like i'm gonna track him down and then when they reach him he's like yeah he's shooting at me and i'm shooting at him like i'm trying to make noise and And that's when, so it was really interesting because there's probably a whole action scene that was not in the movie that probably could have been if they had time that we never get to see. So we don't, nothing happens unless Joe shows up, just for the record. Until he shows up, you're not allowed to do anything.
0: Yeah. Well, the action that you do get is like, they're all standing like down a flight at the bottom of a flight of steps and they're all shouting up, you know, uh, Joseph and Ken and the sheriff are all shouting and. You know, come out, we got you surrounded, blah, blah, blah. And the sheriff just, like, starts shooting his gun. He's <laughs> like, well, this will make you come out. <laughs> what the, what? <laughs> so yep. he does come out, and he says, he says, yeah, you know, I, I did. I did kill the first guy.
1: Or, like, he was forced to, I don't know, there was a little bit of, like, It's me, but it's not my fault.
0: Yeah, he was like, I did kill him, but it wasn't my fault. Right. And and he does the, he does the, and they're like, well, what do you mean? Who did, who did kill him? I'll tell you everything. I'll tell you everything. (laughs) Stands up, puts, puts his hand up, puts his finger up. And then he goes, and then you hear a shot. It's an actual gunshot. He's like, oh, uh, crumples to the ground. (laughs) Now he's dead. So, oh no, plot twist. There's a
1: second killer.
0: Uh, so we come to find out at long last that byron was killed by his half brother Mm -hmm. john right but the person and then there was the
1: witness there was a witness there was a witness that was sam so sam was involved and they had to take him out right and then now we're down to john is that who it is yeah
0: well what happens is is that they finally get byron and jean's mother, and get her in the room with all the other people and the suspects and stuff, and she suddenly realizes that she sees someone that she knows, and it's it's the other dad.
1: Right. Now, just for the record, there's a moment where she recognizes Joe, too.
0: Yeah, she does recognize <laughs> And you're Joe. like,
1: wait, is Joe the killer? Like, There was like a weird, like, oh, yeah, and you're going, so I'm, quick, I'm questioning everything. Yeah. Does Joe know everybody? Why is Joe... And because she was she was famous, she was in some kind of I don't remember what her.
0: I believe she was a singer.
1: She was a singer, right? Yeah. So Joe knew her from that. But there was a little bit of like, oh, more yeah. Than so one for a hot
0: minute, you're like, yeah. oh
1: no. But it's not Joe. It's not. Don't Joe. worry. Businessman, white businessman, is not going to be doing this stuff. No, nope. no, no, no. No, that's not the people you have to worry about. No. Nope. It's the professors.
0: It's the professors. It's the professor. Too professor, smart for their own good. Professor Brand. Was the father of her baby that she gave up for adoption. She thought she was married to him. And she really wasn't. So he decided that he wanted to try to inherit this money through his son. Okay. So he was like, let me get rid of Byron. And then my son is really the son of Byron's mother. They're half brothers. So stands to reason that my son who, by the way, is older, would inherit this money. Okay. He's barely in the movie until the end. Like, Well, because do- he leaves.
1: He keeps disappearing. He's like, I got to go.
0: Well, you don't have the opportunity to even consider him as a suspect. No. Because he's not around, and you're thinking it's Jane, and then for a hot minute you're thinking it's Joseph, and, you know, it's the organist, and, you
1: know, whatever. Well, we don't even know who that was, but he got accused in the middle of <laughs>
0: So come to find out it was one of the professors he made them kill Byron he made John kill Byron and then he killed Sam and then he also killed John
1: his his, his own son
0: his own biological son, blood, son. Yeah. yeah his biological son you know so both the brothers are, are and
1: dead. somewhere in this is the assumption that because Byron was about turn 21 that there was some inheritance involved. And somehow the dad was going to get this money, but we're not clear on what that was I or how it was going through, to work. I
0: think through the son because the son would inherit.
1: I, I but there's no guarantee. I mean, he, he this kid no, was sort of all. like they didn't even know they were related, I, so there would have been no. a whole legal case. To you make would have that had point. to
0: prove. You would have had to prove parentage, and then there probably would have been a legal thing because you would have said, "Okay, yes, you're the." The son of this woman, but first of all, she's still alive. Right. Second of all, you're biological. You're really the son of this couple, the couple that adopted you, you know? So why do you stand? I don't Who knows what New Hampshire law says? But anyway, the man, the professor thought that he was going to inherit some of this money somehow. So that was why this whole thing.
1: It was like the worst plan ever. This whole thing was just oh, so ill-conceived. It just, <laughs> I guess there was a lot of money at stake.
0: They did make it sound like it was a lot of money, but they never like gave like a dollar No, they money. never
1: quantified it. So. They never
0: quantified it. And then come to find out at the very end, where was Jane during all of this? Why was she at this hotel, supposedly, when she shouldn't have been? Because she had broken off a secret engagement. She'd been engaged to some other man and then broke it off. And that's why she was at that hotel. Because really, she's in love with
1: Ken. Yeah. White hetero conclusion wins the day. Once all, Like
0: all of these movies and like they didn't get married or get engaged or anything like yeah, that.
1: Yeah. This one's actually relatively mild. All whole thing. Like right. it's, it's right. not totally out of the realm of possibility in the context of college, right. at least that, cause they, normally you're right. They just get married at the end for whatever bizarre reason. They yeah. Like now we're getting married.
0: No, no. She was just like, she'd broken it off with somebody and I guess didn't want anybody to know. I don't know why you wouldn't say that at the beginning, I was meeting somebody because I was giving him his walking papers. I mean, that's, that happens. That's a thing. So anyway.
1: There's a lot going on here that was, I I appreciate the effort. Um, The execution was not great. Really more the plot. I I think uh, I actually don't, look, we had sounds of gunshots compared to the movies before. I was excited that when something did ring out, someone died. That was good. (laughs) Um, The audio of the, you know, Heel bumping was interesting. So there's yeah. some things that I think it tried to do with what it had, but I don't think they had good material to work with or they didn't have enough time to explore it appropriately. That that's probably right. it felt rushed.
0: Right. Yeah, but also the idea of you commit a murder to cover up a previous murder. Like we're I think we're kind of used to that situation, but I think that's the first time that we're seeing this in this group of movies.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting because you never really see the main professor do much of anything except at the very end and, and there's really so you're not seeing is he panicking, is he that kind of person? I mean he's clearly pretty ruthless. Um and starts murdering everybody in his chain yeah. of causality at that point. But it yeah. just it just you, you don't get a sense of what the plan is or certainly the inheritance and the stakes. So it's just hard to engage with a lot of this.
0: Right, right, right. Or even or even how he knew that this was all going to go down.
1: Yeah. What do you mean, Shaw? That's Professor Boswick.
0: That man is John Metherow's father. Joe Shaw. The man whom I thought I was married to. Let's get to our big question. The big question is, is it a horror movie or is it something else?
1: It's a whodunit without any, it's not a fair play whodunit. So whodunits are usually, you know who did the murder. So that was fair, but there's no fair play about it. They're not going to give us enough clues to figure this out. Certainly half the cockamamie ideas of how it was done were just as valid as any other idea. Um, And there were just as the professor wasn't even on the radar as a potential, um, you know, sort of suspect. So uh, it's a, it's a sort of a murder mystery.
0: Yeah. A a whodunit. And the fair play comes in whenever I'm watching um, a whodunit, movie, like I think about like Clue, maybe one of the more classic whodunnits that kind of everybody knows and it's very wacky and there's a lot going on. And not only that, but there's like three different ways that the the murders could have gone down. I always think about it as a writer and then also as a viewer. How do you write the whodunit so that you're keeping your audience guessing, but you're not hiding information from them right because that's what happened here there was no way for us to figure out who was doing the killing we had no way of knowing we knew i knew at some point that it was i thought maybe it was the adoptive dad or the adoptive parents it wasn't it was the it was the bio dad who showed up and did it you know right. and we didn't even know that that was a thing so There was no way that you could have put this together. It's kind of like, it's just all of a sudden at the end, oh, there's what happened. Like, that's not great. But also I appreciate at the beginning of the movie, I think it started out pretty strong, the idea of somebody who, you know, they murder him, but then they try to cover it up and they go to these elaborate schemes in order to do so. You know, obviously there was some thought. I really don't know why the movie was set at a college. Like that didn't really seem to matter much. I did think it was wild. I didn't make a note of it, but I'm just remembering now, the dorm rooms. <laughs> like like they were <laughs> they were big.
1: Bigger than our apartments were. That's I
0: mean, <laughs> like it was like is this how people had dorm, I mean, maybe at a fancy New England college in the 30s? Like I don't like I don't know, but it just looked like a house to me. Like it just looked like a house. So, let's move on to our ratings system. We're going to give it knives, glasses of wine, and then an overall rating for screams. So let's start out with how many knives. Between zero and five knives. And this refers to what was the body count? How scary was the movie? Was it gory? Did it live up to its title? That kind of thing. So how many knives would you give this movie, Mike?
1: I would have give it one, but uh, I got to give it props for the for that first not real suicide. I I enjoyed that a lot. I thought they did a good job. So I'll, I'll bump it up to two.
0: A two. Hmm. What am I gonna give it? I really haven't thought too much about this, to be honest. <laughs> did um, you know we were doing a podcast today? <laughs> uh, I just. I, I I think one and a half. I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna give it one and a half. Yep. Knives. It really didn't. There was not really a shot
1: in the dark. No, no, there was the uh, the sheriff shot the in the dark <laughs> randomly at people
0: yeah that's true he did he was just shooting willy-nilly like yeah could have shot anybody it was crazy it, yeah it just didn't really offer a lot the first scene I was also a little disappointed in the way that everybody was like oh you know poor poor Byron poor Byron but nobody was although there was a part where one of the other students and Ken are talking about it and Ken's like You know, I don't see what was so wrong with his life that he would have done this. And the other student was like, well, maybe there was something going on that you didn't know about, bro. Yeah. And I I thought that was pretty good. And it was never that thread was never really followed up about mental health at all, Um, which I don't really expect. But it's a heavy topic. It's something that I don't like to see in movies a lot. And when I do see it, it's often or TV shows, sometimes it comes out of nowhere and it bothers me because i think it is something that you need to let people know it is prevalent enough in our society that people could be very upset by its depiction and by it not being dealt with in a in a sensitive kind of way so that i didn't love i mean it turned out that he didn't that's not what happened after all he was he was murdered but
1: Good news, it wasn't suicide. He was murdered by I, him. I know. Like, the, it's kind the of The rival wild. of his... Wild. <laughs> Inheritant... Anyway. Deadbeat dad. I don't know. <laughs>
0: deadbeat okay. dad. Yeah, he really was deadbeat dad. He was a deadbeat dead. So, I love it, too. She It couldn't have been like, you know, I had my fun and had a baby. It was like, I thought I was married to him, which that's not really explained, but whatever. I mean, I don't know. I'm just right, you know. Did you? Did you?
1: <laughs> Good. You're married. <laughs> you know?
0: Did you say I do? Then it didn't happen. Um, all right. So wine. How many glasses of wine are you going to give it? And that is, was it fun to watch? Did it have any unique moments? What do you think? How many glasses of wine? Yeah,
1: this one suffered because of technical difficulties. Yeah. Uh, plot being hard to follow. Too many white guys in suits. Milling. I mean, it sort of had almost all the weaknesses in one movie. Uh, the plot wasn't super strong, so it didn't make sense. So it's in the 1.5 category. I still do... Th- appreciate some of the things i like the idea that they tried a different murder weapon i thought that was good um but it it just it was tough to watch unfortunately
0: yeah it was tough to watch i'm gonna give it one yeah this might be one of the lowest scoring movies for me so far okay overall how many screams so how much fun did we have with this movie so how many screams would you give it
1: Mike, <laughs> i see where this is going uh i would say one and a half I, yeah. I think that's about right yeah for me i, I did like i said I, I gave it some props for some of the stuff in the beginning um it didn't save it but i, I didn't hate there's movies i hate i actually hate <laughs> uh night Tide. <clears throat> but um <laughs> this one i Nighttime i actually didn't ruined. i didn't hate it the way i hate some of the other films so you know i appreciated it, it tried it tried hard
0: it kind of did. And I suppose I should give it more than the one scream I'm going to give it. <laughs> because. But I'm not. But so. I'm not. Because sometimes when I look at the movie and I, and I look at how clearly people tried hard. They tried new things. This is at the beginning of film. They added new elements. They brought something different to the genre. They tried new narratives. But this was like the murder weapon didn't make any sense. There was a lot of dead end plot strands that I didn't love. That there was no way for you to be like like it wasn't at the end of the movie. You were like, ah, oh, of course. You know what I mean? You were like, who the fuck is that? Yeah. Oh, he's the dad. Uh oh. And all of it
1: solved by one like character seeing the other yeah. one. By the way, yeah, that was my one, favorite right. thing. Like once she appeared right. on the scene, the right. whole the whole movie the whole, was over. You're right. like. She'll be like, wait, I know that guy.
0: Which wasn't really built up that much. It could have been built up, you know, in the way that they sometimes build up like a courtroom drama. Right. You know. Um, or that the
1: villain knew that he needed to get out of the room before she arrived. Right. Like he, he was he completely it, right? like, like just that. hanging out at his none house.
0: Of <laughs> none of that. It was just like, ooh, yeah. It was just all of a sudden. He, Not was, a lot of narrative tension. It, correct. Not a lot of narrative tension. That is why I'm going to give it one scream. Oh. Aw. All right, so let's move on to the character that you, Mike, created based on this movie. And this is a character that is for use for free in your tabletop role playing
1: games. Well, one of the fun parts of doing this is trying to make up for the flaws that were in the movie. I know, right? You can know, make a better so, character. <clears throat> this guy's going to be much more entertaining. So the idea is he is a—it's um, called a bluebeard. So I, I didn't know this. We know black widows. The idea of someone marries a woman, marries and then she's marrying that person for their inheritance, and she, you know, somehow kills them off. A, that, the, the male equivalent is a bluebeard. Learn something new. So uh, and there's a there's apparently like a Russian sort of nursery rhyme or fairy tale about exactly that, where this this man named Bluebeard uh, has many wives and he kills them off and takes their money so um, this character is actually an elf he's long-lived but he, he conceals it he's known as the conductor um, he is a musician by nature and he is sort of he he does what we were hoping the professor would do in the movie but had no his motivation sucked his plans sucked all that sucked <clears throat> this is a, an effective version of that character so the conductor essentially marries has many half-elven kids down the road there, and then essentially comes in and either tries to blackmail them, convince them to give him his money, and he uses magic to disguise himself and insert himself back into their lives as they come to, of age. So uh, it's sort of an interesting uh, integration between magic and, and sort of a fantasy setting and this concept. Um, but he does have a free bolt pistol because that's too good to pass up. Um, that he can use on incapacitated foes. And he's really dangerous with his, his conducting baton because he's a conductor. So he, he sort of on the surface seems like a kind of stuffy musician-type bard character. But if he really gets cornered and unleashed, he can bring a destructive symphony into play, which probably involves musical sound effects. But I, I, I do like the concept.
0: I, I love that idea of killing by sound. That's mm-hmm. fantastic. I love it. All right. So tell me about his stats. What are, What is his dominant stat?
1: Yeah. So he's a bard um, by nature. So he's charismatic. Um, that's probably his biggest uh, feature. Um, and he's certainly dexterous in the sense that he's a he's a smooth operator. So he he can do some of this stuff on the sly. Right. He's got to be sneaky. Certainly some of the murders and the way they were perpetuated. Um, so you add that together, and he's he's pretty smart. Um, I wouldn't say he's a genius, but he's smart enough to get away with a lot of this. He's got this sort of long-ranging plan. So he's smart, he's stealthy, and he's, he's a smooth operator.
0: And so what kind of campaigns or what kind of settings would you envision this character might be dropped into?
1: Like a lot of these kinds of films where there's um, – sort of complex plots that require, you know, there's a modern, there's the modern apparatus, you know, day to day. So Dartmouth obviously is probably not going to be in your campaign, but fantasy Dartmouth could. And the idea being that's usually a school, um, in this case, a Bardock College that teaches uh, these kinds of lessons around music. I thought that would be great. So the idea um, that uh, probably a big city that can support a college like that, he would be perfect for. But he moves around, so he could be a villain in one place or have long-ranging plans, or frankly, the characters might even be related to him and not realize it. So uh, I think having him be this distant uh, dad that shows up and starts threatening you about your inheritance would be really entertaining.
0: So you have this character all worked up. Where can people find it so that they can put it in their campaigns?
1: Yep, so uh, he's going to be available for free, at patreon.com slash talien, T-A-L-I-E-N. So we will be posting that once a week, along with the podcast as it's released, to make sure people can use it right out of the gate. But there, he will actually be part of a bigger supplement, which I'm just about polishing up here, uh, 5e Foes Gothic Villains, which is a companion bestiary to 5e Foes, uh, excuse me, 5e RPG Gothic Adventures. So uh, the Gothic Adventures sort of sets the stage for these kinds of you know, gruesome kind of uh, classic horror. And then uh, the villains in here use those rules. So he'll be in good company. There'll be 50 of them. And we look forward to risking that on Drive-Thru RPG. But you'll be able to find out all that info as well as the links to it at patreon.com slash Talion, T-A-L-I-E-N.
0: All right. So definitely there will be something for everyone. All right, Mike, we've come to the end of episode 10. A Shot in the Dark. Once again, not singing, no copyright infringements taking place here. I encourage you to go seek out A Shot in the Dark, Ozzy Osbourne, from the mid-'80s, I think. Also, really good video, probably on YouTube. All right, Mike, anything else?
1: No, other. I was just going to take A Shot in the Dark and say you didn't like this film.
0: No, nah, not so much. It's only the second time you said that this whole time.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to finish it off. There, there you go.
0: Uh, too better. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much for going through this awful,
1: awful movie with me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And let's hope that the next one is a little bit more
1: entertaining. See you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to 50 Date Night Screams. Be sure to check the show notes to learn where you can watch this movie for free. The quality isn't always the best when streaming, so we've also included a link to where you can purchase it. You can also get much more information, including the characters from this and all the Fifty Date Night Screams episodes, at patreon.com/talion. Until next time, don't stop screaming. Fifty Date Night Screams is a production of Mal and Tal Enterprises. It is written, produced, and directed by Amber and Mike Tresca. Okay, ready for the clap? Yes. Three, two, one, clap, okay? Three, three, two, one, clap. Okay, good. Getting better at it.